This is KCLR's Bottom Line with John Purcell. Brought to you with thanks to O'Neill Foley Accountants, the Southeast's largest independent accountancy practice. www.omf.ie Hello, good morning and welcome to The Bottom Line, the programme for and about business on KCLR. I'm John Purcell with you until 10 o'clock this morning. Thanks to Brian Redmond for the last two hours and well done to Margaret Kovar on winning €300 Euros in Ireland's easiest quiz. And best of luck to everyone making their confirmation today. Hang on to your hats. This morning on The Bottom Line. Are you in business and feeling a bit overwhelmed with multiple demands on your time, rising costs and ever-increasing competition? We'll be talking to a local business owner who's written an e-book aimed at helping small business owners get off the hamster wheel and become more productive. Tourism and hospitality is one of the biggest businesses in this area. We'll be talking to Brian O'Flynn, Head of Ireland's Ancient East, as Falcha Ireland uh, get the recovery underway. We'll be talking about the challenges facing those in the tourism and hospitality industry, staff shortages, retention and so on, and also about the many opportunities for the sector that lie ahead. And a former President of Kilkenny Chamber of Commerce and Industry, who manages one of the largest retail business locations across Carlow Kilkenny, will be joining us to answer 20 questions. But first, joining me on the line to discuss some of the big issues facing business and the economy is Garrett Hart, former editor-in-chief of News Talk and now managing director of Hart Media, where he advises business leaders and entrepreneurs on communication. Good morning, Garrett. Morning, John. How are you? I'm excellent. Good form. Good. Last time we spoke, Garrett, we were in the teeth of the pandemic. A bit of a changed world since, but a lot of stuff on the horizon to keep business uh, people busy. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, Just reading the papers this morning, uh, Michael Martin was asked yesterday with regard to the uh, remaining restrictions, let's call them, and he indicated that the government are due to review uh, those uh, by the end of this month and publish a new plan for, for, for living with COVID. So I suppose the mask wearing in certain circumstances uh, like schools or, or, or retail. So effectively, John, by by, by March, uh, we'll have lived in uh, a level of unprecedented disruption for two years. Two you know, full when you, years. When you, when you put it together. Um, but the the where we we go out of this is into what does the world look like and disruption quite possibly is going to be a a core theme um, as we move into the the next stage of uh, uh, coming out of COVID because we're now faced with um, inflationary pressures and, and high cost of living. Yeah, and and talking about disruption, we've heard a lot about disruption before the pandemic. Uh, You know, many businesses have been disrupted by uh, digital and online and so on. The media have been prime prime among them. Many people turning to online, but many of the people who were big online before have had a challenging enough uh, two years. I'm thinking about Facebook, for example. Yeah, look, uh, we... We have seen in the last couple of weeks the share price of Facebook having uh, uh, really tough uh, drops, and obviously we we are seeing uh, younger people moving away from Facebook and and moving back to more trusted sources. Actually, I was I was reading uh, the uh, European Commissioner uh, for Information uh, Vera Jourova last night saying that. 
the concern that the EU has is that shifting of advertising revenues to online platforms and the enormous economic pressures the media are facing uh, in, in countries made it easier to, tar- to target uh, these platforms for political means. So we're now seeing at that level concerns where unregulated media outlets such as Facebook can be infiltrated, whether directly or indirectly, uh, to politicise content. And uh, I think for for Ireland, we're, we're really lucky in our ability to have uh, local media, local radio. And from your own point of view, I know KCLR had record numbers in the, in the, the JNLR the last couple of uh, days, and that's reflected across the country. And also growing numbers of 15 to 24 year olds which again would like to back up that theory that younger people now want their media to be local trusted and one they have confidence in yeah and and it's interesting the pandemic has seen that because we were talking on the show last week about you know um hope for smaller towns now where before it all seemed to be urban big cities big corporations and so on it's kind of turned around a bit and people are appreciating small is beautiful yeah, and look, uh, as we have seen with, with people relocating from uh, Dublin or, or the urban centres back home and the ability to do that, to live, to have a work-life balance. So that increase in population on the West Coast and the Midlands is only going to benefit people's interest in local media and, and their local community. So that's, that's for me, look, and... Uh, and we are both of us big, big um, supporters of, of local and indigenous media, but it's really now uh, time to uh, draw a line under the debate on on funding and for the the funding agencies to recognise that this is a medium and a and platform that that people want and is trusted and we need to support them. Yeah, now looking at the wider economy, um, you know, this time last year it was just COVID, COVID, COVID. Um, A new story grabbing the headlines for business, uh, the cost of living, the cost of doing business, inflation, eye-popping inflation figures coming out of uh, America during the week, I think somewhere around 7%. Um, It's really dominating the headlines. Yeah, and look, the government here certainly is facing a tricky issue dealing with the cost of living. And I suppose the key challenge on how you direct help to the households that need it most. You know, interestingly, again, after the this was the last period of global disruption, the Second World War, there was a you know, I think inflation jumped by over twenty percent, and it was caused by the similar challenges of price controls, supply shortages, labour shortages, pay demands, and, and, and pent up demand uh, for goods. So. Uh, it's not uh, that um, it's it's unique to just post the pandemic, but I think for the government and uh, its uh, challenges that every household, John, as we know, has its own circumstance and its own personal um, budget. And Ireland is a costly place to live, so many household budgets are are, are currently under pressure. Uh, so it's a there is a bit of political brinkmanship. The government's in a probably a position of not being able to um, uh, be seen to do enough uh, by the opposition, but equally being being uh, probably in a corner where a lot of these decisions may be out of their hands. Um, and, you know, the, the, the 500 million 
Euro package they announced this week, uh, I think is obviously welcome because it is targeting people who need it most. Um, but but also I think they've they've thrown in a couple of what I call interesting experiments around public transport, which um, will be interesting to see how they sit with, with the public in terms of, of changing mindsets. Yeah, interesting. Um, that's another maybe outcome of the of the pandemic is that the government um, during the pandemic, obviously with wage support schemes and and so on, had to innovate very quickly or else the economy would have keeled over. Um, that's quite innovative on the public transport. We need to see innovation at that speed in the public space and in relation to the national finances, thinking of climate change and so on. Yes, indeed, and look, the, the again the 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 initiative that the government did publish this week with public transport, where really you're you're asking uh, people to uh, move out of the, their car uh, and uh, with a twenty percent cut to public transport, uh, hopefully moving people to to take on that. And look, as somebody who uses public transport, uh, I think the bigger issue here, John, is not getting people to use public transport today. It's to invest in public transport so that it becomes a favourable um, method uh, of, of transport. But, but also, the public transport is very much targeted to the Dart, the Lewis, the greater Dublin area. So there is that rural uh, urban divide. The, the climate change, uh, again, Michael Martin uh, is in the papers today, uh, uh, talking about the the plan that that Ireland becomes a energy exporter um, based on uh, government plans to invest heavily in offshore wind, and he discussed that at an EU meeting yesterday. So again, we're probably in a in a in a good position, John, as a as a country and island uh, to have the ability to create offshore wind energy that could become an export. Uh, for the the wider exchequer. Yeah, uh, interesting and innovation. Um, Just very briefly, Ukraine, um, a kind of cloud on the landscape. Um, The press offices of the Russian army and uh, the Ukrainian forces must be very busy because all I'm seeing on the news is kind of really well shot pictures of tanks and drones taking pictures. It's an information war at this stage, isn't it? Pretty much so, and, and you know the the the, um, the brinkmanship again has gone up a notch. Uh, you you know you you see the the US uh, getting now into detail of an invasion of Ukraine could happen at any time, and it's not if it's when. Uh, so there's a little bit of uh, concern, I'd say, because we you know sometimes. Uh, when you're publicly talking in that way from the White House, uh, then they have a little bit more information than they're telling us. So is uh, is there likely to be a disruption uh, in Ukraine? Quite mm. possibly. Uh, the scale of it, who knows? Finally, and uh, briefly, Gareth, uh, cloud there, that would drag people down. Put a smile on our dial. Anything catch your eye on, on the humorous yeah. front? I, well, I saw I just innovation, you know, big on, on uh, innovation, John, and I, I, I saw this great piece of innovation with a, it's a cafe in Dublin, the Beanhive uh, Coffee on Dawson Street, and uh, any morning you'd be walking around Grafton Street or going to get your coffee, there's there's a good queue outside, great coffee, not plug-in, I don't know the guys who own it, but they, they have introduced edible coffee cups 
So effectively, it's like a cereal. Uh, so you buy your your cup of coffee uh, in uh, an edible cup, but they're GMO free, one hundred percent eco friendly, and as Laura Zerner, their marketing manager, said, imagine an ice cream wafer but soaked with coffee. So anybody who's out in Dublin today or, or any uh, coffee shop in Kilkenny or Carlow, I think uh, there's a business opportunity in edible coffee cups. Uh, certainly I'll be going in there today to get one. Yeah, and uh, you would make a bit of an impact at a business meeting, uh, Gareth, if you kind of kind of stroll in really cool with your coffee and you sit down and just about... <laughs> Before you make your yeah. presentation, you eat the cup. Yeah, yeah. Look, it, you know, it, it could be, you know, it could be one way to make a uh, an impression at a board meeting, John. Where yeah. you know, you, you want to get a point across, you end up eating your coffee cup. <laughs> I'm all for it. Edible, edible computers and edible pens. What next? <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> Good man, Garrett. We'll talk to you again. That's Garrett Hart of uh, Hart Media. Thanks for joining us this morning, Garrett. Take care, John. We'll be back uh, talking about tourism and hospitality. Don't go away. The Bottom Line on KCLR with John Purcell. Brought to you with thanks to O'Neill Foley Accountants, the Southeast's largest independent accountancy practice, www.omf.ie. The Bottom Line on KCLR with John Purcell. Brought to you with thanks to O'Neill Foley Accountants, the Southeast's largest independent accountancy practice, www.omf.ie. Now, John Purcell with you until 10 o'clock on the bottom line. Uh, it's just 22 and a half minutes after 9 o'clock. Now, the tourism and hospitality industry is definitely one of the biggest economic drivers in Carlock Kilkenny, and it's had an unprecedented two years. It's not alone, but the disruption in tourism and hospitality has been off the scale. And though restrictions have lar- largely lifted and some measure of quote-unquote normality has returned, those in the industry face a whole new set of challenges but also opportunities. During the week, Fall to Ireland unveiled its priorities for 2022 and joining me on the line to tell us about them and to discuss the challenges and opportunities for tourism and hospitality businesses is Brian O'Flynn, Head of Ireland's Ancient East at Fall to Ireland. Good morning, Brian. How are you? Morning, John. Thanks for me on. Pleasure. Yeah, well, tell us about uh, the plans for 2022 and your priorities. Yeah, sure. Look, I think firstly it's important to point out the context in which we meet. I think as long as about this time last year and the industry was heading into its second St. Patrick's Day, which is really the kickstart of the tourism industry every year, heading into the second one in a row, which the industry was closed. Um, you know, we still had travel restrictions in place. And importantly, we, we didn't have any vaccines. You know, people weren't vaccinated yet. A year later, we're in a very different position. Thankfully, you know, we, we have more accumulated savings and pent-up demand out there. The restrictions of the needs our access is returning uh, quickly and more rap- rapidly than we probably would have foreseen. And really importantly, we have a very highly vaccinated population, which makes Ireland a really attractive place to visit and from within Ireland and also for, for our, um, overseas visitors. So, look, very encouraging in that sense. But now, look, you're right. Back to your question. Um, look, we still have some significant challenges, I suppose, in the first instance to get over to get back to where we, where we were pre-pandemic. Um, in the very short term, some businesses still have ongoing liquidity and survival challenges. Um, and actually, while I have you, I might use the opportunity to say we have um, trade and business continuity grants again available this year. And anyone listening in from accommodation and attraction um, activity provider businesses in the tourism space, they'll open again in March, in, in early March. So I encourage anyone to, to, to look, at, look at those. Um, 
But compounding that, we do have major staffing challenges. Um, look, the, the industry, as you, as you said there in your intro, was one of the later or the last industry to open back up. Um, and as a result, we estimate that there's about 40,000 vacancies currently within the industry, which is a, is a big challenge to getting businesses opening their doors again. Yeah, um, that, that really uh, puts a challenge on people keeping the doors open, doesn't it? And maybe even some people uh, not being able to open their doors. It does, and um, like I suppose, it's important to find out it's not just the sectoral issue. You know, the coverage has been pretty widespread over the last week or two. You know, construction and other sectors facing similar challenges, um, and also it's not just an Irish issue. This is the same issue that that our sector is facing uh, internationally as well. And um, so look, we, uh, as I said there at the outset, we we had our tourism industry conference last week in the Convention Centre in Dublin, and we did unveil a pretty comprehensive plan, I suppose, to try and tackle this issue. It, it, it's important to point out that there's short-term issues here, but there are also long-term issues in which we need to make the industry more attractive place to work. And, and I suppose our plan is really centred around three things, getting employees into the sector, keeping them in the sector, and then upskilling them and giving them the career path in the sector. So in the short-term, look, we're helping businesses through a number of ways to target the various labour pools that are out there in terms of the targeted transition year programme, given that students are so crucial to the sector, um, also working with third-level partners, but then identifying the key EU source markets, firstly, with which we can get talent back from, because the reality is a lot of people that that were originally from other countries in the EU that would have worked in the sector went home and returned to their home countries uh, during the pandemic and have now gotten jobs there. So we need to attract that talent back. Um, And then thirdly, uh, non-EU source markets in terms of a permit programme. But what we're, we're really excited to roll out is, we, you know, we really need to, the big challenge here is to make the industry a more attractive place to work in the long term. You know, we need to compete with other sectors out there for, the, for that labour pool. And you have the excellent you know, employer programme. Tell us a bit about that. And that, that's exactly what, what, what that seeks to achieve. So uh, the excellent employer programme is, is a kind of a certification for businesses within the industry, which businesses can apply to be a part of. And they'll be essentially, you know, accredited uh, as a result. But, but how it would work is that employees would be engaged on an ongoing basis to kind of rate their own employer as to what the challenges are, what the opportunities are, where they're performing well as an employer and areas to improve on. So it's a legitimate certification that actually sees a step change in the industry as an attractive place to work. But look, that, that'll take time. We know ourselves internally here, we, we partake in the Great Places to Work program. And it does take, you know, two to three years to kind of embed that and to build it and to get, you know, to, to improve along the scale. But we believe by having a guest of businesses across the sector involved in that programme, that that in turn will make the industry a more attractive place to work. Now, getting uh, staffed up and being able to open the doors is one thing. Uh, getting people to, to come into Ireland, number one, and also into the various locations in Ireland's ancient east is another. What are you doing to uh, get the levels of activity back and to market yeah. uh, Ireland's ancient yeah. east? We're, we're doing a, a lot, John, is the, is the short answer. Um, we're, we're doubling our investment in our domestic marketing campaign this year. So, you know, Fort Ireland have the remit for, for domestic marketing um, within the Republic of Ireland. So our Keep Discovering campaign, which, you know, reached 97% of Irish adults last year, which was a remarkable reach, so you'll, you'll definitely have seen it, um, is remaining in place this year, and it's going to be across 52 weeks. So we are actually lucky enough to secure the RTE weather sponsorship, which you have seen, um, that kicked off a number of weeks ago, and now this weekend we're delighted to say that you'll see television ads, papers, etc. So all channels appearing. So a doubling of our investment there. Um, it, it is very important to point out that while we want the international market back, 
2019, which is our most successful tourism year ever in this country, the 42% of that revenue outside of Dublin was made up by the domestic market. So retaining that domestic market is very important to us. But also, we know that a lot of people that were forced to take breaks, maybe in Ireland that hadn't before, or were encouraged to take breaks they hadn't before over the last two years, their experience greatly exceeded their expectations. So we have a unique opportunity here now to grow that domestic market the long term so that's why we've, we've doubled that investment yeah and just um, anecdotally I think that the domestic market is probably the number one uh, thing around Carlow and Kilkenny uh, local tourists hugely important whether for weekends or breaks during the week it, it, it's a huge number of local accents among visitors so you're, uh, historically it absolutely has been I mean Carlow and Kilkenny is, is a domestic stronghold from a tourism point of view Look, we do. I think it's important to have the balance right. I mean, internationally, tourists, we want them to see the amazing products that's in Carlow and Kilkenny, and there's a lot of development work going on constantly to improve that product base. So, um, and the international market was growing pre-pandemic. But luckily for Kilkenny, Carlow, um, in that sense, the domestic market has always been very important and remains to be so. So I think it's, uh, you know, certainly the outlook is looking strong for, for the region yeah. in the coming months. And the climate crisis is huge and businesses everywhere have to uh, change. What about sustainable tourism? That that must be something that's on the agenda as well. No, it is. Look, it's, it's, it's obviously uh, it's topical at the moment and, and rightfully so. You know, I think we all have our place to play as, as individuals but, but absolutely as sectors as well. And, and you mentioned the importance and the breadth of the tourism sector. So, we have a role to play there to reach our climate targets as well. So, look, we're doing a lot there. I suppose from a development perspective, we will be rolling out destination development plans across the region. So collaborative plans which capture all tourism development priorities in one plan within a destination so that all agencies and private sector are working together around a, cl- a collaborative uh, tourism development plan. Mm. And we, importantly in that, we need to make sure that we get the balance right. We do want to get back to 2019 levels, but we want to do so in a way that balances the needs of the visitor and the industry, obviously, the tourism industry, but also the community and the environment. So development has a role there to play. But secondly, I suppose we're, we're rolling out a number of supports for businesses individually, so at the level of the enterprise, to be able to, what can businesses do to reduce their carbon footprint, but do so in a way that affects their bottom line in a positive manner? So in a couple of weeks' time, we'll be launching our, our carbon calculator, which will enable businesses to put in their input costs and so on into an actual calculator and show where they might be able to achieve some carbon efficiencies. So we're doing a lot in the space, uh, so Sean is, is, is the short answer. Um, and look, we have to, obviously we have a mm. role to play as an industry leader there. Yeah, so there's the, the aspect of businesses cutting down their own carbon footprints, but also, um, you know, sustainable tourism attractive to people who want uh, the knowledge that they can go away without kind of costing the earth, um, literally as well as uh, financially, I suppose. No, and that's it. And look, we are an Ireland nation, so to come to the Ireland, to come to Ireland or to leave Ireland, you, you have to get on a plane or a boat. There's no other way about it. Um, so we, we will always have that challenge. But it's ensuring that the product base on the ground then offers that sustainable transport options, offers that sustainable um, option in, in attractions and accommodation providers. So again, it's back to that level of the business. If we can help businesses improve their carbon footprint, visitors will, will be orientated to, to stay in a business or to visit a business that is more attractive from that point of view. But also, if you think about, uh, I suppose cycling is an easy one to go to here and it's probably the one that's referenced most and it's obviously not just that it's cycling, but you know, if you think about the depth of cycling investment that's going on across the country at the moment, 
we work very closely with our local authority partners and, and particularly in, in the Penny and Carlow and the East at the moment in the development of those greenways to make sure that they're not just commuter paths, that those in themselves are visitor experiences mm. and visitors have a feel-good factor then about exploring the amazing landscape of Ireland's ancient in a sustainable manner so yeah. they can leave the car and, and explore it in another way. Fantastic. Well, Brian, lots going on and a lot of positivity in the industry, albeit with some challenges on the horizon. But as we overcame COVID, presumably we can overcome those as well. Thanks for joining us this morning. That's Brian O'Flynn, head of Ireland's Ancient East. Good morning, Brian. Thanks, John. Best of luck to everybody in the tourism and hospitality industry as they gear up and get ready for hopefully what's going to be a fantastic 2022. Coming up after the break, we're going to be asking someone 20 questions. Casey Lauren, indeed, you're very welcome back. John Purcell with you on the bottom line, the programme Foreign About Business on KCLR. Now, 20 questions is our monthly-ish feature where we lit- literally ask our guests 20 questions that have been designed to give you an insight into the person outside of their role in business and have a listen to find out who our latest guest is. My name is Marion Ackerman. I live in Ballycallan in Kilkenny here. I work at McDonough Junction. I'm the centre manager there. And can you tell us where you were born, Marion? I can. I was born up in Donegal in Letterkenny. Moved to Kilkenny when I was nine. So I kind of feel like I've, I've nearly become part of, of the uh, fabric of Kilkenny at this stage. But Can you tell us a bit about your family growing up? Sure. So I was a middle child. So obviously I'm a very balanced personality. I have a younger brother, sorry, I have a younger sister and an older brother. Uh, and we all came to Kilkenny as young children um, and grew up in the city. What about your education? So I uh, I was actually one of the first children that went to the Kilkenny School Project when it opened here in Kilkenny. After that, I went on to Loretto, um, spent all of my secondary school years in Loretto. After that, I went to study physiology in Carlo IT, um, went on to work in the leisure business, then into uh, property management. So then I went back to Reading, the College of Estate Management, studied some commercial property management there. I did a year at UCD, some health and safety, and I'm currently studying in Waterford IT. I went back last year when the lockdown started, so I'm just finishing a degree there. Can you tell us about your first grown-up job? Yeah, my first grown-up job was actually New Park Hotel in the Leisure Centre. Um, I worked there through college, and then when I graduated, I came back and worked there, uh, helped to manage the Leisure Centre, and I think I spent about six years there in total. Who or what has had the greatest influence on your career path? Um, I suppose I've been really lucky all the way up. Um, I've been guided by a lot of people through my life. Um, not all giving business guidance, but I kind of identified some positive attributes from a lot of people who kept me close when I was younger. Uh, a good friend of my mum's, Fanula, actually used to take me every summer for a couple of weeks uh, up to Dublin or down to Clannacilty where she would have had cafes and restaurants. So I would have worked alongside her. So... I saw really how dynamic she was. Uh, she's an epic, still an epic character in Clannacilty. She's confident and colourful and warm, very musical. So she's a real joy to be around. And my mum saw the value of kind of putting people like that around me growing up, um, which kind of led to a really rounded upbringing. Um, and it kind of showed me valuable characteristics, which, of course, then were emulated. Uh, on the business side of things, I worked uh, for Colette Dalton for many years and Bobby Carr Sr. in New Park Hotel, and they were both great business people, so I would have learned a lot from them along the way. What is your favourite thing about your career? Uh, 
Um, I think the support that I get from the team that, that are around me, I'm really, really lucky. Um, and then the fun that we have, the variety of activity that the job entails, you know. Um, we get a lot of autonomy and trust from our board and our agents. They see what we're delivering for the business and they just allow us to kind of drive those objectives. So that's that's been lovely as well. And then collaborations across, you know, county councils or um, the local enterprise office or community groups. That's been another lovely aspect of the job. Can you tell us the most important or defining moment in your career? The most important? Well, I suppose the launch of the Kilkenny Famine Experience was very special. Um, it was very meaningful. Um, on a professional basis but a personal basis as well. It it brought a lot of closure to a project that really needed to be platformed properly Um, and that is ongoing. I mean there's a lot of kind of intergenerational healing happening there. Only last week we had a an event where we had 40 people online from Australia who were reaching back to their to kind of retrace their ancestors from the orphan girls that left the workhouse so I suppose that's the most um, that would have been the most defining moment so far. Can you tell us about a typical working day? Sure. So I swim every morning before work um, and then head in. We normally have a huddle, so our kind of key staff uh, catch us up with what's happening, uh, what's happened maybe through the night shift, uh, what the priorities are for the day. Industry kind of lends itself to all sorts of um, uh, ducking and diving and you might think that you're going to get a certain amount of things done in a day, but generally something has happened. Attention usually have a good number of meetings across the week and lots and lots of emails like maybe a hundred a day it gets a bit crazy um retail office uh, tenants they might have an issue they might want advice on something um, and then customers so i really enjoy dealing with day-to-day uh, goings on with the customers what do you value most in a colleague I think integrity is probably the most valuable asset uh, in anyone. And if it's missing, you really have problems with your team. So, you know, just that genuine honesty. And how would your colleagues describe you? Uh, Funny, we were actually discussing this last week because uh, I'm doing that uh, that stuff in college at the moment and was having a bit of a giggle about it with my colleagues. Um, So they say firm but fair. I kind of think I'm a bit bossy um hopefully not overly bossy but i'm very very driven and i like everyone to kind of be to identify objectives and then go after them so uh but i also think i like to empower the the team that are around me because they are a great team and they're very good leaders in their own right as well how do you deal with setbacks or overcome challenges uh, I think there's been a lot. Um, the, the nature of McDonough Junction has been uh, challenging at times, and none more than the last two years. But I think that drives me personally, like setbacks do kind of drive me. I'm quite stubborn. So sometimes when I'm looking to get something done and someone puts something in my way, I kind of tend to keep pushing um, until we get where we hopefully need to get. What's been the proudest achievement in your career to date? Oh gosh, we've had so many nice things. Um, I think probably leading the Chamber of Commerce as president. I mean, that was a lovely, really, really privileged two years. Um, and also presenting uh, to the judges for the, the National Enterprise Town Awards at the Kilkenny Castle. And we went on to win the national award that year. I mean, that I felt so proud that day. So possibly that. What advice would you give to people starting out in their careers? I think my advice there would be work hard, stay honest, um, and I also would say don't let your past define your future. How do you like to relax? I love to swim. Uh, really enjoy my swim, but I really enjoy the hot tub in New Park after the swim. So those two things, they're, they're, 
they're they're very enjoyable. Tell us about your favourite holiday destination. Uh, well, every summer uh, we go to Wexford and we spend uh, the summer at Morris Castle, uh, and that is beautiful. Um, if we were looking for sun, uh, we have a lovely hotel in Lanzarote that we get to when we can. My husband's a bit of a workaholic he's self-employed as well so it's very we're not getting to travel as much as we would like to so we have to do something about that what has the COVID 19 pandemic made you realize i think it showed us that the world could slow down not obviously to the extent that it did slow down but it kind of prioritized things that had been pushed to one side the other thing is it reminded me that live music is really really important what business book would you recommend and why I don't know if I'd recommend any business books. I'm reading a lot of them at the moment because of studying. Um, I can't say any of them are really um, 100% captivating. I'm actually reading an interesting book um, at the moment called A Manual for the Human Spirit, and I've just seen it out in your lobby, so it's here as well. It's written by a man called Peter Dono, who is actually living in Kilkenny. kind of dives into philosophy and uh, multiversal energy, so that's fascinating. Tell us something about yourself that might surprise us. Uh, I've just started to drive a sports motorbike for fun. So I started driving a motorbike in October and I'm really enjoying that because it's just a whole new skill set. Uh, my husband's always had bikes. I've always hopped on the back with him, but I've always kind of had a yearning to get my own bike. So I started to uh, go through that process this year. So I'm driving around on a Ninja uh, sports bike. Really enjoying that. Tell us about your favourite piece of music. Uh, I will, actually. Um, I'm in the Kilkenny Choir. I've been in the choir for about six years, um, so I really enjoy learning new music. We have two performances, generally, um, with a full orchestra every year. So one of my favourite pieces is a song called Sure on the Shining Night. It's written by a, an American composer called Martin Lawrenson. And it's just, it's beautiful to sing and it's beautiful to listen to the lyrics talk about sta- shadows on the earth created from starlight and how we must watch and, and spread kindness on the earth. Um, it talks about sure on the shining night all is healed and all is health so I think it's an apt piece of music considering what we're coming out of at the moment This shining night, uh, Marion Ackerman's choice of music, and Marion, our guest on Twenty Questions uh, here on the Bottom Line. It's just uh, fourteen and a half minutes away from uh, ten o'clock. You're listening to the Bottom Line. Text in uh, following my discussion. I think with uh, uh, Garrett Hart early on. It says nobody talking about the money on the pup payment and the cut off without any prior notice. John, the government always said nobody would be thrown off the cliff and we mustn't forget about these people with this now added stress and that comes from a County Kilkenny listener. Fair point. Also another text in this morning if I can just get it up. Somebody said don't mind your Dublin cafes Quirky, parked by the river in Greg Namana most weekends, has been offering edible cups since last summer. Never had one though and 
don't know if they still do them um, but just try eating the cup anyway and if it's not edible you'll find out soon enough <laughs> um, you're listening to The Bottom Line the programme for and about business coming up after the break I'm going to be talking to Brendan Cullen who's a local business owner who runs Survey Guru which is a market research company and uh, over the years Brendan has also started working with small business owners on ways in which they can increase their productivity and as part of that he's written an e-book now it's a very short book it must be said but one that packs a lot of practical advice into just over three and a half thousand words the book is called get off the hamster wheel the smart small business owners productivity bible and it's got a subtitle which says it all really it says how to calmly achieve more despite overwhelming demands on your time a competitive marketplace and a tough economy sounds familiar we'll be talking to brendan about all that after these the Bottom Line on KCLR with John Purcell. Brought to you with thanks to O'Neill Foley Accountants, offering a broad range of business and advisory services to businesses large and small across the southeast. All over Carlow and Kilkenny. We are KCLR. We are indeed. Uh, John Purcell with you until 10 o'clock. It's just coming up to 11 minutes away uh, from 10 o'clock. Edward Hayden joining you then uh, for the Saturday show and get your questions in about gardening uh, to Edward. And anything you've got, send in a poem or send in a request or whatever. I know a lot of people having confirmations this weekend. As I said before the break, I uh, told you a bit about Getting Off the Hamster Wheel. It's the title of an e-book written by Brendan Cullen. And Brendan joins me in the studio now. Good morning, Brendan. Good morning, John. How are you keeping? Great, thank you. Good yeah, to be now, here. Yeah, uh, I knew you from Survey Guru. Um, tell us about your transition to writing a book. Yes. <clears throat> so the Survey Guru is still working. Um, modest increase in last year, which is very um, welcome. But I found through my work with Survey Guru with small business owners that they needed help. They needed help with getting more bang for the book becoming more productive. Um, they're all hard workers. They're the backbone of our indigenous economy. Um, they're not afraid of hard work, um, but they need support in directing that work in the most productive way. Because there's stuff flying at people from all sorts of angles. They're on the hamster wheel, but there's uh, the hamster doesn't have emails coming in, phone calls, people with problems, a leak in the roof, and, uh, you know, doubts about Ukraine and all that. Presumably, uh, the F word is common, or not too common sometimes in business, but it needs to be. Yeah, it can be very difficult to be focused with everything coming at you. Yeah. And so that's the F word we're talking about. It is indeed. <laughs> Just better clarify that one. Yeah, uh, tell us about the power of focus and why focus is important and how you work it into the quest to be more productive. Sure. Well, there's 168 hours in the week and small business owners could work every one of those hours. They'd have no trouble finding work to do. And that would be obviously unsustainable. So people need to be they need to be careful in how they choose to spend their time because it's our most valuable resource. No matter how much money we have, we can't create any of it. Once it's gone, it's gone. <coughs> Excuse me. So if you're going to work X hours per week or X hours per day, how best to direct them? Yeah, you could be a busy fool. You could be active without accomplishing much or you could be focused on what are the things that will move your business forward the most. And so what are the main things that people should focus on? A lot of people need, excuse me, the main thing that people should focus on is think 80-20, okay? There's a Pareto principle, which is referred to in the book. 
you get 80 results, 80% of your results from 20% of your efforts. Um, all customers are not equal. All jobs are not equal. All activities are not, are not equal. Yeah. So the activities that so, a business owner should focus on are the activities that the business need doing and that he or she is best positioned to do. Mm. I find in a lot of businesses that the owners are doing activities that somebody else could do that they could delegate to somebody, that they could outsource to somebody, that they could subcontract to somebody. You know, a lot of business owners spend time not doing the thing that gets them in the zone where they're using their skill set, where they're of most value. There's a great quote in the book, um, and it's right up near the, the front. It's the main thing is to make sure the main thing is the main thing. That's yeah. a good one. <laughs> I heard that from uh, Bill Cullen at a seminar he ran up in Swords years ago in his Tick Dublin accent. He said, the main thing is to make sure the main thing is the main thing. And he said that Stephen Covey stole the idea from him for Stephen Covey's book on, on, on effective people. When Stephen was going around Tala for the Jehovah's Witnesses, exactly. I think. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. He probably met Bill. But the, but the essence of it is uh, every morning when you're deciding what to do with your day or every night when you're deciding what to do the next day, identify the one thing that needs to happen the next day to move things forward. Your day isn't necessarily a success if you do that main thing, but it's an accomplishment. You know, you've moved the dial, so to speak. And uh, one of the things, I suppose, that defines business owners or business managers or the people with whom the book stops is that they have to take responsibility. But um, you, you make the point in the book that you have to accept it. You have to accept the responsibility. Talk to us a bit about that, what you mean. Something bad can happen to you. That's not your fault. But it's your responsibility to decide what to do from that point forward. So you can, you know, there's a, an excellent video on YouTube from Will Smith, actually. Um, uh, I was in Will Smith. Yeah. And he, he says, you know, it's not, it's not your fault if you um, had an abusive childhood or it's not your fault if you've been incredibly unlucky in some way, but it is your responsibility to direct your future life, to take control and decide what to do in the future. So it's, it's that difference, John, between fault and responsibility. Mm. Another thing, um, you hear a lot about motivational videos and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you can, you mentioned YouTube, you can get these kind of things with people playing thumping music and shouting to you about sunsets or sunrises or whatever. I, I've seen a few, let's say that, but, but you're saying the book, don't wait to be motivated. Talk to us a bit about that, because motivation is key. You can't turn it on. Um, it's not a magic switch, you know. Um, and as a as, as a person who's in business yourself, John, you know that we're sometimes not motivated. It's just reality. Um, those videos suggest a a, a, a a different world, but that's not the real like world. Like there's some magic button you can just press yeah. and everything. In in the real world, we as you know people in business need to do a lot of hard slog. On a lot, at a lot of times when we don't feel like it. So if you're waiting around to be motivated, you could be waiting, you mm -hmm. know. Um, pigs might fly. Hell could turn cold if you're waiting to be motivated to, to do what needs to be done. Yeah, now you hear a lot about can-do attitudes, um, but again, coming back to the F word, um, one of your keywords is focus on the next thing you can do. That's, I suppose, seeing what you can do rather than all the problems. Yeah. This is a regular with me and clients. Say somebody says, "Okay, one of the, you know their plans include, uh, I want to um, do an interview on KCLR." Okay, well that's what you want to do, 
but what's the next thing that, what's the next step that you can take in pursuit of that yeah mm. are you going to wait around for John Purcell to call you or are you going to pick up the phone and make an approach to John um, if you want to have a meeting with John Purcell about talking on KCLR it won't magically happen what's the next precise step that you can take send him an email text him call him so it's all it's it's so important if you want to move forward it's so important to identify the next step that you can take that's entirely within your own control mm. and important to say folks if you're out there and you would like to talk to John Purcell and you would like to get on the bottom line just email the bottom line at kclaura96fm.com we would be delighted uh, to hear from you but it's actually very practical uh, Brendan it's actually do stuff don't expect to be inspired but just get stuck in I was, I was interested to read in the book about Phil Coulter mm-hmm. um, I kind of thought that he'd be walking down the river with you know melodies floating into his head from bird song and all that but it's, he's a slogger as well yeah yeah that quote I think it was Ryan Tuberty whose show he was on who? Uh, <laughs> and he says 90% of this is graft you know one of our most successful ever songwriters on the island 90% of this is graft and um, I told him about the book on Twitter and he replied back he was very funny he says Brendan, I never thought I was going to be a, a, a help to anybody with motivation. Yeah. You never, you know, life yeah. takes its twists and turns. Finally, and unfortunately, we're running out of time, but just very briefly talk to us about balance. A lot of people in business have other commitments outside of their business. They might be taking care of aged parents. They might be involved in training their kids at sport. You know, everybody wears a lot of different hats. And unfortunately, a lot of stress and strain comes from people trying to fit those activities in around the business. I'm suggesting to flip that a little bit. So, for example, exercise is crucial. Yeah. Put the put the exercise in as an anchor in your life and fit the other things in around it. Mm. Yeah. Rather than the other way around. So it's essential. I'd agree with that. That's uh, excellent advice. Brendan, thanks very much. That's Brendan Cullen talking to us about his book, Get Off the Hamster Wheel, The Smart Small Business Owners Productivity Bible. And if you'd like to talk to Brendan or get in touch with him, you can email him at Brendan at Brendan hyphen Cullen dot com. That's Brendan at Brendan hyphen Cullen dot com. I'd recommend the book, Get Off the Hamster Wheel. Uh, quick and easy read, but lots of uh, gems of wisdom in it that's all we've got time for this week on the bottom line remember if you have any comments or ideas or you'd like to be on the show email us at the bottom line at kclr96fm.com or if you'd like to listen back you'll get our podcast on any of the platforms just search the bottom line on kclr thanks to all our guests this week Garrett Hart Brian O'Flynn Mary Nakerman and Brendan Cullen thanks to Deirdre Drummy who produces the show and thanks to you for listening we'll be back next Saturday just after the news at nine in the meantime there's lots more on Casey Law for you over the weekend during the week with live and exclusive radio commentary on the Ballyhale versus Ballygunner All-Ireland Club final this afternoon. Uh, you needn't ask us who we're up for. Come on, Ballyhale, stick it to them. But that's uh, later today. And we've got Kilkenny versus Tip tomorrow. Same applies. Come on, Kilkenny. And Carlo versus Westmead. Come on, Carlo. So hopefully it will be a winning weekend for Carlo Kilkenny. Edward Hayden is next. But until we speak again, take care of yourself. Stay safe. Stay tuned to KCLR. Keep it real and keep the faith. The Bottom Line on KCLR with John Purcell. Brought to you in association with O'Neill Foley Accountants. Our website, onf.ie, shows the full range of services we provide to businesses large and small.